So I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 10. I do invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. I remind you the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God does indeed stand forever. Let us hear the living and abiding word of the Lord. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute, And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Now skipping down to verse 36 of chapter 11. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. 
At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall come into countries, and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasure of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall rise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Well, we now come to Daniel's fourth and final vision in this book. He and God's people, the Israelites, have been in exile in Babylon for 70 years. King Cyrus, in his first year, issued the decree that they could return from exile, they could rebuild Jerusalem, but it has not been and it will not be smooth sailing. There has been and there will continue to be opposition. Not only Do they return with their own sinful, rebellious hearts, their own fears, their own doubts, but they also continue to face opposition from without. And now, two years later, the rebuilding has come to a halt. It hasn't been all green grass and sunny skies. They haven't just returned and begun to sing the songs of Zion together in peace once again. But it's also not, it is what it is. That's our stoic phrase from today, isn't it? Pain, sorrow, suffering, nothing you can do about it. No, the message of this final detailed vision is this. Your God is the sovereign God who reigns over every detail of every nation and every name in all of history. And this cosmic battle ends with resurrection hope. It's a great message of comfort and hope for us and for our holiness. At our session meeting this past Thursday, Colin was giving an update, and he began it by saying this, I was hoping Ed Gaiman would be here so he could speak to what I had to say. And at that very moment, literally within a second, we heard the hinges on the meeting meeting house door squeak, and in walked, Ed Gaiman. It's not very often that our uncertain hopes are so immediately recognized. We often hope for things that we do not get. So many of you have been asking us, when are you going to move into your new home? And I used to say, I hope it'll be in February. And February came and went. 
I hope it'll be in March. And March came and went. I hope it'll be in April. And April came and went. I hope it will be in May. I have one more week before that comes and goes. But we think it'll be this weekend. But we often hope for things we do not get. This is something very different here. Beloved, God's word gives us a sure and a certain hope. An anchor for the soul. What we have here in Daniel is true. And it points us to a God outside of ourselves. A God who reigns over all. A God who gives us resurrection hope that is meant to change our lives. These words and this hope is designed to shape our affections. What we love, what we think about, what we trust in, what we look forward to, and indeed what we live for day by day. And beloved, we need this hope because we live in a world of trouble And we cannot fix it. We can't outrun it. We can't avoid it. We need a rescue from outside of ourselves. We need deliverance and the hope of everlasting life. And that's what Daniel is given in this vision. So we're going to take a broad look at this vision. We won't go down into all of the details. But we'll take a broad look at four different areas. First, we'll see how this vision was revealed to Daniel as he sought the Lord through fasting and prayer. We'll see that it was a vision of a great conflict, a spiritual battle. We'll see how Daniel was strengthened by the word, and then we'll end with the resurrection hope. So first, this vision was revealed to Daniel as he sought the Lord through prayer and fasting. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says, A word was revealed to Daniel, and the word was true. One of Francis Schaeffer's most well-known books is his apologetic on the existence of God. And the title is this, He is there, and he is not silent. He is there, and he is not silent. There is a God. And he makes himself known. He speaks. He reveals himself to us. We are created beings in his created world. And so we do not create our own truth or our own reality. We live in his reality. Not everything that we think or believe or feel is true. God is true. And he makes his truth known to us. And his truth leads to life and joy and peace. It's the truth that we need. It's the truth that our world needs And that we, God's people, have the privilege of knowing and believing and proclaiming so that all might know this great truth and our great Savior. This word is revealed to Daniel. He didn't make it up. It came from outside of himself. Messengers sent from God to give it to him. Verse 12, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God... Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel's words were his prayers, and his words were heard. God heard the words of this ordinary man, and he acted in response. He sent his angel with this word of truth. And just remember, Daniel persisted in prayer. We saw earlier that it was his practice to pray three times a day. We saw in chapter 9 this wonderful extended prayer, but How long has he been in exile? 70 years. So this answer didn't come after one week of prayer. This is a lifetime of prayer. 
He persisted in prayer. But God heard him. Beloved, when God's people cry out to him in prayer, he hears. When God's people humble themselves and seek the Lord, he acts. So let us seek the Lord together. Let us recognize our absolute dependence upon him day after day after day. Our need for him in all things. And let us make our requests be made known to God. And let's not give up. Let's be persistent in prayer. May this vision drive us to our knees in humble repentance and prayer, seeking the Lord together, trusting his word, his revealed truth. Well, second, this vision was of a great conflict, a spiritual war. Verse 1 says the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And then verse 14, the angel tells Daniel that he came to make him understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. And then chapter 11 goes into great detail of what was yet to come. Now, some of you may be disappointed. I skipped over a large section of chapter 11. In my studies this past week, I found that there are dozens upon dozens, some say over 100 specific predictions that were fulfilled in striking detail in chapter 11. I'm going to share one example with you, and then we'll turn to the latter portion of chapter 11. But if you're interested in those details, I'd encourage you to read the rest of chapter 11 on your own, maybe with a good study Bible on hand, or a good commentary. And it will help you see all the specific ways that those prophecies were fulfilled throughout history. We don't have time for all that this morning. But one example. So in the years after this was written... There was constant conflict between the Ptolemaic and Seleucid kingdoms. But around 250 BC, Ptolemy II, the king of the south, that Daniel calls him earlier in chapter 11, he attempted to make peace with Antiochus II, the king of the north, by sending his daughter Bernice to marry him. Daniel predicts this in this vision in verse 6 of chapter 11 when he writes, the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. So that's this arranged marriage they're trying to set up. So Antiochus II then plans to divorce his first wife. He's already married. So he needs to divorce his first wife, Laodice, and he wants to disinherit his sons through her so he can marry Bernice and have a child who would then rule over the Seleucid kingdom. But first wife doesn't like that plan so much, you can understand. So she has her husband, Antiochus II, and his desired new wife poisoned. In fulfillment of verse 6, which says, She shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. So there, there are all kinds of things like that throughout the rest of chapter 11 that we see fulfilled in history. It's just one of many examples. Now, many understand the section that I did read at the end of chapter 11 to refer to the Antichrist. This one who will, verse 36 says, exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. One reason we think that refers to the Antichrist is because Paul picks up this language in his New Testament letter to Thessalonians, his second letter. And this appears to be the man of lawlessness that Paul talks about. The one that Paul says must come before Jesus returns. And Paul says these words, for that day, he's talking about the return of Christ, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This one will bring great trouble. 
great suffering, and yet his end will come. In the end, he is not victorious. Did you see that last line of chapter 11? The narrative turns towards this resolution, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. There's this word of hope coming. The God of Israel, our God, is victorious. But what's the point of chapter 11? What's the point of this vision? What did this vision tell Daniel and God's people then? And what does it tell us, God's people, today? What are we to see here? Not first and foremost, all the details of what will happen. When it will happen, who will do it, that can be fascinating. It can encourage and strengthen our faith. So there is indeed value in there. But more importantly, what it's telling us, the big picture, the broad picture that we want to see this morning, is it's telling us who reigns over all these events. They're not just happening. It's giving us this powerful, reassuring Comforting proclamation. Our God not only knows the future, it's not just that he knows ahead of time what is going to happen. He controls the future. He reigns over it. This summer in our multi-generational Sunday school class, we are going to study the providence of God. God's providence. And I would encourage you to join us for that class. I would encourage you, whether you're able to join us in person or not, to read along with us about the providence of God, to memorize question 11 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question is this, what are God's works of providence? And the answer says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Our God reigns over absolutely everything. We'll be singing a hymn together during that Sunday school class. We'll probably sing it here during Gather Worship. Some of you know it. It's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And this, it was written by someone who had a great amount of suffering in his life. But one of the stanzas says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, by our own limited wisdom. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Things may not look good to us, but there is a God behind every circumstance in our lives. And that God behind those circumstances is a God of love. Beloved, the God of Daniel, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the living and not the dead, your God. Your God today, he reigns over all. This is his world and we are his people and he is working his sovereign plan, yes, for his glory, but also for our good. Remember that today. That's a truth you need to remember day by day by day or you will not make it in this world of trouble. Let that truth, that hope, shape and inform what you do today. Let it shape and inform how you respond to the difficult circumstances of your life. In our confession of sin today, we said, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations and 
our small lives. It's not just that God reigns over the nations of the world. He reigns over every name, every person. But what do we do when we forget? When we forget that our God reigns over our small lives, we fret and we worry. We try to take matters into our own hands. We try to force or control things that we cannot control. We get frustrated. We get anxious. We do not trust our God. And we also forget that we are in a spiritual war. There's more to this life than we can see. Daniel received a vision of a great conflict. Chapter 10 gives incredible insight into what happens behind the scenes, the spiritual world, the world that we cannot see. It doesn't dwell on it. It just states these simple truths and the flow of the narrative as if they're not amazing. And then it just moves on. And maybe that's why Daniel is left speechless. No strength left in him. Did you catch what happened here? God sends this angelic messenger, a supernatural being, To give Daniel this vision, this answer to his prayer. And he tells Daniel, I've come because of your words. Verse 12. But then verse 13 says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Daniel, I would have been here three weeks ago. But I got held up because I was in the battle, this battle with this prince of the kingdom of Persia. Well, who is that? It's not a person. People do not delay angels. It's not a person, it's a demon, an evil supernatural being, a demon apparently who is behind the kingdom of Persia. So he held up this messenger for three weeks, but then how did he get past him? Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me fight, for I was there with the kings of Persia. This is a supernatural battle going on. This messenger says, I was coming to give you a word. I got held up. And then Michael came and we gave him the smackdown and now I'm here. That's what happened. There's this unseen spiritual battle going on around us throughout history. It's going on right now. And then the end of chapter 10 says this. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Sorry, Daniel, I got to go. I got to go back to the battle. And and when I go, the prince of Greece, he's going to come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Your prince. What does that mean? Is Michael the archangel, Daniel's personal guardian angel? Or is Michael the prince of all God's people? Looking out for us all. Later it seems to indicate that is more likely. But... We're not to speculate about this or develop deep deep doctrines based on these passing comments in the narrative. But we also don't dismiss them. We're not to discount them or, or make light or ignore the supernatural world in which we live. Open your eyes, beloved. Live in light of reality. The society we live in the culture we live in, the world that we live in, they are not going to encourage us to put our faith in God. They are not going to encourage us to live according to God's truth or to believe his word or to live with a biblical, true awareness of the supernatural. 
a supernatural battle is going on for the souls of mankind. This is not a game. It's not a scary movie. This is reality. And it matters. It matters what you believe. It matters what you think, what you do. It matters who you trust, who you listen to. There are demonic forces of evil behind the evils of this world. But we do not need to fear. We do not need to fear. For our God and his angels are also at work in ways that we cannot see to protect us and deliver us and rescue us. May God open our eyes. May he open our eyes like he did for Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. Maybe not as literally. That might be terrifying. But you know that story, 2 Kings chapter 6. The prophet Elisha is surrounded by this great army and his servant is terrified. And he comes to Elisha and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? And if it was modern day, it's, you, you picture Elisha, he's not disturbed at all. It's like he's just got his cup of coffee and his donut and he's just sitting there relaxed. Elisha, what are we going to do? And he just says, listen, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with our enemies. And his servant, what uh, what are you talking about, Elisha? It's you and me. What are you drinking this morning? It's you and me. What's going on here? And so Elisha prays, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens his eyes, and the young man saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And he had that glimpse into reality. It's not make-believe. It's not a fake story. Beloved, this is reality. We live in a supernatural world. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have no hope to stand on our own. But we have a great God who rules over all. And he is for us because of his son, Jesus Christ. So beloved, be aware, be on guard, but be not afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with our enemies. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So how was Daniel strengthened? He has this vision. No wonder he's terrified. How is is he strengthened in the midst of this knowledge, this terrifying vision, this intimidating prospect? Daniel was strengthened by the word. He was strengthened by the word. Verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. In this great conflict, this spiritual war, there is great trouble coming, but there's also a word of comfort, a word of truth, a word of hope and strength. You are greatly loved. In Madeline Langle's book, A Wrinkle in Time, there's this climactic moment. Meg is one of the main characters, and and she's risking her life to save her younger brother. She's fighting against evil, and she's terrified because she could die. 
but she has been encouraged by Mrs. Watson. It's a supernatural being, a force for good that's helping her. And she remembers in the midst of this battle that Mrs. Watson said to remember that she loves me. And then she says this, that's what I have to think about. Not about being afraid. Mrs. Watson loves me. That's quite something to be loved by someone like Mrs. Watson. Now, it's just a fiction story, but, but where is the author getting that idea from? She's getting it from passages like this, from her Christian faith, this comfort, this hope, this encouragement. Daniel, in the midst of this great battle, remember, you are greatly loved. Remember, it is Almighty God who knows you, who hears you, who answers you, who loves you. He's the one who will deliver you. He is the one who will raise you up to everlasting life. Beloved, in the troubles of your life, remember not just that you are greatly loved, but who it is that loves you. How might that help you? How might that encourage you or comfort you if you would slow down and pause and remember that great truth in your everyday battle with difficult and disappointing circumstances? How might that help me? You know, when things keep going wrong in our home renovation and delaying our move in, how might that help me? Oh, the kitchen cabinets are going to be put in tomorrow. Phone call. Oh, sorry, they were in the finishing shop. They got burned. Oh, the plumbing's going to be done today. Oh, sorry, we found out they put a finishing nail through one of the main pipes. It has to be done over again. Those are small things in light of the big things of life, right? They're small things, but they've been a major source of stress and anxiety. And at times, conflict for me and for our family over the past six months. I need to remember, Almighty God loves me. These things are not a setback for him. They're not a surprise to him. He's at work. It's not just the big, grand scheme of things that... We need to remember God loves us. It's every day. The everyday frustrations of life. There's a God who loves you. Beloved, remember you are greatly loved. And then fear not. Fear not. Psalm 112 is speaking of the one who fears the Lord. And it says this. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. Trusting in the Lord. Be not afraid. Why? Because of who your God is. Because of who your God is, the sovereign Lord who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Because your God loves you and he is in control of everything you face because he is good. And he will do what is just and what is right. You can trust him. He will take care of you. You are greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus said to his followers in John 16, we read it earlier, I've said these things to you that in me, in me, where are you going to find your peace? You won't find it in created beings. As great as each one of you are, and we love you dearly, and you are saints, and you are being made like Jesus Christ, if we look to one another for the peace we need, we will be disappointed. In me, you may have peace. In Christ alone. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace 
be with you. That's why we say the peace of Christ. That is what we need and that is what we have. Take heart, beloved. Your Savior knows your name. Your Savior, the one who knows your name, the one who hears your prayers, the one who loves you, the one who delivers you, the one who will raise you to everlasting life, he is the one who has overcome the world. He is the victor in this spiritual battle. So be strong and of good courage. There's reason for hope. There is a true reason. This is not wishful thinking. It's, it's reasonable. It is based on the character, the strength, the promises, the word, the truth of your God. But if you are going to be strong and of good courage, you must know this word. You must think about it. You must believe it. Meditate on his word that has been revealed to you. Trust what he says. It is true. And beloved, we must speak this word to one another. How was Daniel strengthened? He was strengthened by the word. In this case, a supernatural being came and spoke it to him. Well, it doesn't have to be a supernatural being. Anyone can do this. You don't have to be an angel to do this. Anyone can speak the word of God from the youngest to the oldest. And often, isn't it the youngest members who speak God's truth to us at just the right time? And it encourages us. So let us remind one another of what is true. This vision ends with a reminder of what is true. One of the clearest proclamations of the resurrection that you'll find in the Old Testament. Yes, there will be a time of great trouble, but there will also be deliverance for those whose names are in the book of life. There's resurrection hope. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 again. At that time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Beloved, there is a spiritual world. A world at war. And it matters where your allegiance lies. There is a resurrection coming. One to everlasting life and one to everlasting contempt. And those who trust in Jesus and only those who trust in Jesus will be raised to everlasting life with him. Those who reject Jesus will be raised to everlasting contempt and judgment. In this vision, God promised his persecuted people that at the time of the end, he would raise them from the dead. And these promises found their initial fulfillment in God's son, Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead and now is seated at his right hand. So we have already seen a partial fulfillment of this promise. But these promises and their, this vision find their ultimate fulfillment on the last day when the dead will be raised to life. So beloved, be strengthened by the word today. Remember our study in the Gospel of John, all those great I am statements. John chapter 11, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Apostle John received a revelation. He wrote it in in that last book of the Bible. And he saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged according to what they had done. Beloved, the only way we can make any sense of this world that we live in, of the troubles of this life, the only way we can have any comfort or hope is through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through who our God is and what he is doing. And through this promise of a coming double resurrection, one to life and one to judgment. It gives us the comfort that every wrong will be made right. Justice will be done. But it also gives us the hope and the comfort that there is mercy for us. There is everlasting life for those who repent and trust in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 13, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So beloved, hear the message of this vision. Your God is the sovereign God. He reigns over every detail of every nation and every name in this world throughout history. And this cosmic war ends with great resurrection hope. It's a message for our comfort, for our hope, but also for our holiness. It's to change how we live in the everyday here and now. So I'll close with a final word from the Apostle Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. He's speaking of this final day, and he says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be? And lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beloved, be renewed in your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ today, and may that hope spur you on to live a life of holiness that may hasten his return. Amen.